Okay, we're live. How you doing, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. And this is going to be great. We're doing another one of these San Diego news update shows. You know, we've done a number of these over the past few weeks. They've been well received. So we're trying to bring more of it for you. It's a chance we just get to comment on some of the local news stories, kind of riff about it. We welcome your thoughts and comments in the live stream. So if you want to get involved in the community forum, just type your comments and questions in the live stream on both Facebook or YouTube, and we'll get you involved in this in this, uh, in this this extravaganza as we cover the San Diego news stories that are happening all around the city. So, um, you know, we just, by the way, last week I had an interview here in the podcast studio with Ted Leitner and man, that was fantastic. Uh, so many great stories. Um, it, the interview, we went over an hour and a half, but last few days I chopped that interview up into 28 individual segments and, um, I'm putting those out on YouTube one a day. So, a couple of them are up there. So if you really like Ted Leitner, you like the Padres, the Aztecs, that was a great interview. So I welcome you to go check that out. So we're going to break down um, a number of these issues. Um, you can see a little bit there on the ticker, but we want to get you involved. So let's get started. So the first topic that we're going to explore here is the skyrocketing desalination. How do you say that? Skyrocketing desalination water costs. You know, this is the desal plant that's up in Carlsbad, the Poseidon desalination plant, is going through some major reforms. They're going to have to overhaul part of the system, and it's adding huge costs. And I just kind of want to explore this a little bit with you. What they're going to have to do is spend... $274 million to transform this plant that that converts seawater into drinking water. Um, And what they're they have to do this to meet certain environmental regulations, particularly to protect fish from entering into the system or something like that. Uh, And this could cause the plant to be shut down for as long as a year to get this done. Um, So, you know, yes, it's a new intake system to protect the fish. And it's it's a remarkable how much this is going to cost to set this up. Now, meanwhile, the cost, the price of desal water is a lot more expensive than the water we're currently getting from the tap. You know, the and, and this has been part of the concern about the plant is that it just takes up a tremendous amount of energy to convert salty seawater into pure, clean drinking water that we can, you know, drink right out of the faucet. It just requires so much electricity to transform this seawater. And already desal water is 54% more expensive than traditional tap water. And they expect that the prices are going to, uh, it's going to be more than double that. So, you know, it's already 54% more expensive. It's going to be more than twice as expensive starting in 2026 for this water. And on one level, you think, wow, that's crazy. This is so expensive. And they got to spend $274 million to reform this thing. But just think about this. This is a technological marvel, what they're doing. Um, You know, here we are, we're talking about a drought in California. We're talking about cities that are having to really ration water. Certainly water rates are going up all over the place. I mean, we live in a desert that's right up against the ocean. I mean, it's incredible, really, um, how we're able to transport water here from Northern California from the Colorado River. Those in and of themselves are, are technological marvels. 
But San Diego's done a really good job, in my opinion. And the desal plant is one of those things that I think is worthy of applause, in, in my opinion. Um, we can also add the Pure Water Initiative that converts um, wastewater into drinking water. You know, that's the, uh, the they don't like to be called this, but that's the toilet to tap initiative. And the crazy thing about that is the water that comes out of the pure water initiative is cleaner than the water we're already getting out of our tap today. Um, so love all this technology, but it's it's unbelievable how much this is adding to the expense of the desal plant. And that was one of the points of debate when they built it because they knew that it was going to require so much energy. Meanwhile, they were touting the Pure Water Initiative, which actually the water costs a lot less. But still, given the situation, given the drought, I like this sort of all of the above strategy where they're pursuing traditional water sources, you know, from the Colorado River, from wells and and other locations. But they're also depending on technology to convert seawater to drinking water, to convert wastewater to drinking water. I mean, this is incredible. Now, in my opinion, I don't understand why they're making it more expensive in the first place. Because what's the priority here? Saving humans or saving fish? So I get the environmental needs, and we see a lot of that throughout um, society. It's obviously a very hot button here in California. But every time they do that, that it adds significant costs. And so there has to be kind of a um, a cost-benefit analysis for this. And in my opinion, generating and creating more water is critical. I mean, it's really a, a core human need. I'd love to see these regulations wiped off the book to make it easier, cheaper, faster to convert seawater to drinking water. And who knows? Maybe the water that's coming out of this desal plant can not only support San Diego like it already is doing – but how about maybe kind of spreading the love? How about building more desal plants up and down the coast? I think that would be a good idea, especially when the state of California had such huge budget surpluses. So tell me what you think. You know, uh, let me know in the community forum. You can type in your thoughts and comments on the live stream in both Facebook and in YouTube. Get you involved in the conversation. Um, we've got a couple more topics we're going to cover. I just like to do this sort of. Uh, you know, kind of hopscotching around. There's a number of news stories that I find interesting that are consistent with really the overarching theme, the higher purpose of this podcast, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Um, so I like to look at the world through the, that lens, through that context. And when I see some of these stories, I like to chat about the ones that caught my eye. I hope they catch your eye. Um, so let me know your thoughts and let's just get involved in the community forum. Okay, let's move on down the line. Now we're going to talk about the beach fires in San Diego. I don't know if you saw this news, but this really surprised me. So the city council, San Diego City Council, has now made wood fires or charcoal fires illegal on city beaches unless they're in a fire ring. Um, So what we had is cases where, you know, People would have hot coals, they'd have embers, they'd have wood that was still hot buried in the sand. People step on on it, burning their feet. Yeah, I get that. There's some people that were upset about the nighttime air and the pollution from it. Okay, you know, here we go again. Um, But they want to, they're going to now start laying out fines, $250 to $1,000 per incident 
for these so-called illegal fires. Now, where is all this objection coming from? You can guess who? The rich people that have the beachfront property. The rich people who have these grand patios right up against the sand that in many ways they kind of think of the beach as their backyard when really it's a public beach. Um, So really I, I think what you're seeing here are wealthy, influential people in San Diego that are twisting the arm of their local council member to pass this. Um, But the other kind of crazy part about this is, is that, of course, they make exemptions to the rule. There are exceptions if you're a hotel or a resort and you are up against the beach, the sand in that area in front of your resort, the, the, the beachfront in front of your hotel is exempt from this rule. So that means that tourists can come in and they can establish wood fires directly on the sand. And it's an exception. It's a double standard. So this is crazy because you see, again, this is where wealth and influence gets involved here. In this case, with hoteliers that are gaining the influence, they're saying, hey, we want to apply this pressure in front of residential homes, but hey, not in front of our commercial property. So I don't like this sort of double standard. It kind of rubs me the wrong way. But the other part of this that's discouraging is that the city has been reducing the number of fire rings that are available in the first place. I don't know about you, but if you ever try to go to the beach like on the 4th of July or other major holidays, I mean, you have to get there like at the crack of dawn sometimes just to be able to claim one of the rings, the fire rings on the beach. These things are hard to get. There's less of them available. And now it's illegal to have fires directly on the sand. Um, now, the other kind of interesting part of this, this, this is a part of the story that really surprised me, is that apparently there are bonfire companies that are involved here. You're thinking, what, what the hell is a bonfire company? So there's, there's one company, it's called Beach and Bay Bonfires. And they actually coordinate these sorts of bonfire activities on the beach for tourists, for other kinds of groups. And they do it, they set it up safely. Um, and they, you know, they relieve the tourists of having to go scramble for driftwood or old used pallets. They, they get all the fire and they do it safely and properly. Um, but apparently these companies obviously really tweaked. This is going to like flip their business on its ear. And they said, you know, why are they banning it? I mean, rather than banning it, they could just have an education campaign. Talk to the people, explain what's going on. Talk about how they can make their fire area safer. To me, that makes a lot more sense. I know this is a public beach. Fires are beach fires are part of the San Diego culture. And it's a shame to see these things getting ratcheted down because some people that happen to live along the coast are, you know, kind of in a snoot about all the the smoke in the area and how much really smoke is being emitted. I mean, really, I mean, the the air quality, the beach is usually probably the best air quality anywhere in the county. Um, So to me, this is discouraging. And it's the double standards. It's the killing of the San Diego culture. Tell me what you think on the live stream. You can get involved in the community forum. Share your thoughts and comments and we'll get you, you know, get you connected here. What I do is I like to share people's, um, you know, Facebook posts 
or their YouTube comment pops it up right here on the screen. And so you're certainly welcome to join us in the community forum. Okay. Um, before we move on to the next topic, I invite you to go, you know, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. If you go there, all of our podcast episodes are posted there. In fact, this is episode number 304 of the John Riley Project. Um, you'll see all of our old episodes, blog posts, they're there, a lot of other content, and you can get on our mailing list. If you go to johnreillyproject.com, you can sign up on our, our email list and you can connect to all of our other social media platforms. I'm usually pretty active on Twitter. I love engaging with people in the community and continuing the conversation. Because really, that's what this podcast is all about. Really, it's we're just covering San Diego news, talking to San Diego newsmakers, just like we talked to Ted Leitner uh, last week. Given you know more exposure, more opportunities to comment on local news stories. I mean, we hear enough about you know Biden this and Trump that and DeSantis over there and all the national stories. And the international stories, but we really want to just focus on what's going on here in our San Diego County area. Kind of take a look at a lot of the other communities in our in our fine county. Okay, let's uh, bounce around. Let's go to Imperial Beach, and this is a really neat story. So, right now in the news, a lot of the recently elected politicians are being sworn into office. I've seen this in a lot of other cities, mayors, city council people, school board members, people that have run for a variety of other offices are now finally officially getting sworn into office. And there's a new mayor in Imperial Beach, and her name is Paloma Aguirre. And she wants to bring the fun back to Imperial Beach. And that just, I just love that. I just thought this was such a fantastic line because- she, you know, she said COVID robbed us of so many opportunities to keep us strong and united. And isn't that true? I mean, there was so much crazy stuff that went down with COVID, locking up a lot of – I mean, they were putting um, caution tape and blocking off playgrounds that children couldn't play in. And here they are saying, we believe in the science – but the science says that when you're outdoors, it's very safe. <laughs> you know, it's usually just when you're in indoor activities with, with very poor air circulation. But they were still blocking off playgrounds, blocking off a lot of other recreational opportunities. I mean, heck, there was a skateboard park up in Venice, up in L.A., that they filled it up with sand to discourage skateboarders from skating during the initial outbreak of COVID, which is bananas. It's ridiculous. And so there's been so many other cities that have gone through this because politicians, I think, didn't want to be blamed for anything related to COVID. And so they took very draconian action to shut down a lot of activities in their community. Well, the Imperial Beach mayor, the new mayor, Paloma Aguirre, wants to bring the fun back to Imperial Beach. And she wants to bring back summer concert series. She wants to host a skateboarding festival. She wants to organize summer surf jams. She wants to make the Imperial Beach Day of the Dead celebration a destination for all of South County. She's even entertaining the idea of bringing an ice skating rink right to the beach in Imperial Beach. That's great. I love seeing this, this kind of activity. And Imperial Beach is, 
you know, it, it's kind of one of those sort of hidden communities of San Diego County. Um, it's along the beach. Unfortunately, they have challenges there with sewage wa- uh, water that comes across the Tijuana River. And that's obviously one of the things the new the new mayor of Imperial Beach wants to address. Um, she's going to be working on housing just because there's housing issues in IB and improving public safety. But I just see the city of Imperial Beach as one of those sort of hidden jewels of San Diego County. Have you ever been down to uh, Friendship Park, which is down there right in the southwest corner of the United States of America, right there where the United States border and the Mexican border, right there is a fence and it goes right out to the beach, out to the water, which, by the way, Friendship Park has been shut down, I think, since the beginning of COVID. Has it been reopened yet? I can't even remember. But that's a really, really special place if you ever get a chance to go. Because on the Mexican side of the border, there's a bull ring there. There is a, a park. And many times I've gone out there, just a lot of activity at the park and on the beach, families, children, having a great time. And then on the American side of the, of the border wall, or the, and really it's like a fence, the beach is generally unoccupied. Um, there's a lot of kind of grass Grass, uh, grasslands there. Um, there's a nice park there with picnic areas, but generally it's it's kind of a a quiet, almost um, deserted place in San Diego County. Yet it's right there on the beach. It's a really neat place, and it's a place where families actually come together at the border and shake hands, pass notes. There's even been marriages that have occurred right there on the border with the bride and groom each on one side of the fence, which I think makes it special. Um, Unfortunately, now, uh, President Biden is now talking about ripping down that fence and actually building a much bigger wall, which is a whole other thing. We're going to talk about immigration in a bit. That's just disappointing to me. Um, But anyways, IB is in the news. We talked a little bit about IB and some of the things they're doing with housing. Now we're seeing some things that they're going to do with the new mayor. So good on you, Mayor Aguirre. I wish you the best. I think that's awesome. Okay, so we're, uh, you know, already starting to get some comments on the live stream. And yeah, already one here from Trevor saying, hey, that's a nice tree in the background. And it is. We got the... We've got the uh, the Christmas festivities going here in the John Riley Project podcast studio. Okay, let's move on and let's cover another one of these topics here. And this is a good one, by the way. Carmel Mountain Road is a disgrace. This was fantastic when I read this. So here in – I live in Poway and our local newspaper is the Poway Chieftain And it's run by an organization called Pomerado News. And they're sort of – they were purchased by the San Diego Union-Tribune. So it's it's good – reasonably good local news coverage. And they have a letter to the editor section. And there was a letter there from a gentleman named Joe Calabrese. And Joe was a former city council candidate in Poway a number of election cycles ago. But he he said that Carmel Mountain Road is a disaster – And he's right. I mean, have you ever driven on Carmel Mountain Road on the east side of the 15, right there by Home Depot, by Costco, by In-N-Out Burger? I mean, up and down that road, the asphalt there is just a charred mess. It's just terrible. 
Um, and so he, he wrote this letter initially just ripping council member Marnie Von Wilpert, um, saying that she's really not doing anything to address this problem. Um, he's saying that Karma Mountain Road is a safety hazard. And if you, there's potholes all over the place. I mean, it is like kind of dodging, like it's like the game Frogger, you know, when you're trying to cross the street. When you're driving on Karma Mountain Road, you've got to really pay attention to the quality of the road because it's tricky. And there's all kinds of undulations with the pavement that have been really just ruined by a lot of the weather conditions over the years. Um, So here's just a couple of lines from Joe's uh, letter to the editor, which I thought were great. He said, the San Diego Office of Risk Management has named Carmel Mountain Road the fourth worst road in the city in terms of claims for vehicle and personal injury. Claremont Mesa Boulevard, Balboa Avenue, and Torrey Pines Road lead the list. So yeah, it's 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 awful. And and then he, he this is a great one too. He, he he wrote a letter to Marnie Von Wilpert expressing his concern, and he got a well written response from one of her staff members, letting him know that they were aware of the situation and it was being handled as best as possible. You know, despite budgetary concerns. Um. But then what they went on to comment that Bernardo Heights Parkway, which is right there, kind of like a little bit away from Carmel Mountain Road. If you've ever been up on that road, Carmel Heights Parkway, which really had no imperfections at all or very little, has recently been repaved. (laughs) So they're repaving roads that really don't need it and leaving roads that need to be fixed unattended, deteriorating, crumbling pothole ridden up and down Carmel Mountain Road. So Joe Calabrese tries to set up a meeting with Marnie Von Wilpert to discuss it. And he reached out to her in July of this year. They said, well, just contest, contact us later on in the year. I think it was in September. And then she would be available to meet. So he goes back and reaches out to her staff and they say, I'm sorry, we're not taking any meetings now. They're not taking meetings from the citizens that Marnie Von Wilpert represents. You know, we hear all this national conversation about democracy falling apart, democracy, you know, unwinding the destruction of democracy. Well, here at the local level, we have elected city council members that are not taking meetings with their constituents to talk about one of the most fundamental most basic things that a city government does, and that is to maintain the streets. This is this is crazy. You know, there's a lot. It's in, I'm a little bit spoiled being in the city of Poway because Poway has really good roads. It's one of the things that our local politicians pride themselves on, and rightfully so. The roads here in Poway are great. They prioritize it. They have a good system to manage the roads. But the minute you cross the city limits and go from Poway to San Diego, you notice it immediately. Um, There, I remember for the longest time, the Paseo Lucido, which is right along in front of Rancho Bernardo High School, that used to be horrific. And that's actually Carmel Mountain Road, you know, changes its name when it crosses um, Camino del Norte and becomes Paseo Lucido. And that Paseo Lucido section used to be terrible, and they finally redid that about a year or two ago. And then the road that's Rancho Carmel Road, which goes 
along the main post office there in Carmel Mountain and then goes down into Sabre Springs. That road traditionally has been horrible, just a disaster. And yet they're not being maintained. So it's like, come on, man, you know, what are you doing? What, why aren't these things being taken care of? Considering how much money people are paying in property taxes and, and sales taxes and all the other funds that, that really provide revenue to the, to the city government, why are they not, not only why are they not taking care and maintaining the infrastructure in San Diego, but why aren't they taking meetings with their constituents? So what a great letter to the editor um, I, I think, you know, Joe Calabrese did a great job and, and I, I'd love to see any follow up on this story. So if Joe, if you're watching this or if anyone knows Joe, please reach out to me. If you hear any updates on this, I'd like to find out more. And of course, you can learn more just by going to my website, johnreillyproject.com, and we'll get you involved there. Okay. Um, yeah, these, these uh, San Diego News Update podcasts are meant to be sort of quick hitting, like, you know, we'll cover four or five issues and comment on them, give you an opportunity to get involved in the live stream. And uh, we just kind of riff for a while. So, you know, sometimes I have guests here and, you know, I invite guests to come in here. We'll riff on the news a bit. I do a lot of interviews in this podcast, just having a lot of fun. It's sort of my glorified hobby and I enjoy it. But if you like what we're doing here, if, if you want to support this podcast, hey, you could be a monthly contributor. If you'd like to get involved, go to my website, johnreillyproject.com, and there's a button there to donate. If you want to leave a financial contribution to kind of support what we're doing here, boy, we'd be very appreciative of your help. Okay, moving along. This is our final topic, and it's local and it's national, so it's kind of both. But I thought it's worthy of coverage, and it's about Governor Gavin Newsom, and he visited the border, you know, the California-Mexican border. I think he wasn't in San Diego. I think he was in uh, Calexico, Mexicali is where he went. You know, that's Imperial County, not too far away from here. And he was just using this moment as a political opportunity just to rip the Republican Party. And you know, Gavin Newsom is, you know, clearly this guy is going to run for president at some point. So you always have to, like, try to interpret what he's doing at the border, um, what he's doing with a lot of his policy, policy positions as it pertains to activities today, but also in terms of what he's thinking about for his political future. So he was saying that due to a lack of federal support, the state of California has spent almost $1 billion with nonprofits to provide immigrations, uh, um, immigrants with health screening, temporary shelter, and connecting with sponsors. So, you know, they're providing all these services for the immigrants, services that cost the state of California almost a billion dollars. And he goes on to say, we can no longer absorb this responsibility. Now, this is kind of a funny deal here because a lot of the Republicans, particularly a lot of the MAGA supporters, are saying the same thing. They're saying, you know, they're the ones that want to build the wall. They're the ones that want to block immigrants. They're the ones that don't want to have taxpayers paying for all of this. And they want to shut down immigration, which is crazy. Um, but Newsom's kind of saying the same thing, you know, and Newsom's a pretty left uh, leaning governor of California. He says, we cannot continue 
to absorb this responsibility. But the crazy part is it was just a few months ago that Gavin Newsom expanded Medicaid, you know, the health insurance for the poor, and expanded it regardless of immigration status. So essentially providing government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded health care insurance for the poor, including for immigrants. So you wonder why immigrants are coming to California, illegal immigrants coming to California. Well, yeah, there's there's a reason, you know, because there are all these services that are available to them that they can gain access to if they're able to run the gauntlet and get across the border, which is extremely difficult and dangerous. Um, now, there's another factor that's going on here, and there's this thing called Title 42, and I was just learning about this. Um, it's a mechanism that Trump did as president to block immigration because of the COVID pandemic. Now, Biden's getting ready to lift that, I think, in April of next year. And when he does, you know, that's going to make it easier for a lot of these immigrants to come here. And it's going to create more strain on the system. Um, and Newsom actually had a really good line here. And I, I, I appreciate this. He said, everyone needs to get off their ideological perch and start dealing with the reality of immigration reform in a comprehensive manner. And he went on to criticize the Republicans and conservative news pundits for exploiting immigration as strictly a border security issue and ignoring the need for sweeping reform. He's absolutely right. It is an immigration issue. It is an issue that the Republicans are constantly fanning the flames on, uh, that are constantly trying to draw attention to. Um, It's a case where Really, a lot of Republicans would love to have a, a wall go 2,000 miles from San Diego all the way to Corpus Christi um, and blocking immigrants from coming into America. And it's like a Great Wall of China. It's like a Berlin Wall, which is crazy. Um, but that's what a lot of people on the right want. But now here's Newsom complaining about the cost. And then meanwhile, as I talked about earlier with Friendship Park and Imperial Beach, President Biden is expanding the border wall in three different locations in America, in Texas, in Arizona, and here in San Diego in Imperial Beach. So on one level, there's a lot of this posturing, a lot of of political gamesmanship over the immigration issues. Republicans saying one thing, the Democrats saying another. But when you look at the policies and what they actually do, in many ways, they're very, very similar. But in the end, they're both kind of in grudge mode, right? The Republicans and Democrats when it comes to immigration. Um, you know, the Republicans don't want to, you know, the Democrats want a comprehensive immigration reform package, but the Republicans won't entertain it until there's border security. And then as a result, they've been in this standoff for decades. It's just ridiculous. I mean, in my opinion, immigration should be easier faster and cheaper. If we had, if it was easier to come to America legally, then there would be less illegal immigration. And if we allow more people to come to America legally, well, then we've got a lot of jobs we need to fill. Having them come to America benefits us. It helps build our economy. It helps in many ways to reduce inflation. And it is ultimately consistent with our own values of the United States of America. 
you know, the Statue of Liberty, which is what our immigrants have always come to see as as the um, the symbol of freedom in America. When they arrived from Europe and came to Ellis Island, the Statue of Liberty was this beacon of hope. Give us your poor and huddled masses. Come to America and seek, you know, uh, seek opportunity, pursue your values and succeed. And so many immigrants have. My ancestors did. Every American we can look at, their ancestors all came here. I mean, heck, even the Native Americans, their ancestors came from Asia. They crossed the Bering Land Bridge back when it was uh, land all the way across the uh, uh, up in the Arctic. Everyone, their ancestors come from somewhere else. You know, this podcast is all about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That doesn't just apply to Americans. We, we even say so in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these values to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It doesn't say all Americans are created equal or all white American men are created equal. It says all men are created equal. And in that context, it means all humans because man, that term can be used for both women and, and men. You know, like Neil Armstrong, when he walked on the moon, one small step for man, one great leap for mankind. Yeah, it's humans, not the males. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed with rights from their creator that include the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That applies to immigrants too. So when I see what's happening between the two parties and what they're doing at the border, in my opinion, they're making the situation worse. They're creating more of a crisis because they're not solving the problem. Because the problem is not solved, it creates distortions and unintended consequences. And that's why you have coyotes that are transporting people into America, often extorting very poor people. Lots of loss of life. You have other cases where people are taking great risks with family, with children, walking over mountains or through deserts to get here, taking enormous risks just because they want to be free. It, it's, it's, it's a mess. And then we have the Friendship Park in Imperial Beach, which I think is a great place. And now President Biden wants to build even a bigger wall there. You know, he campaigned on criticizing Trump for the border wall, rightfully so. And now he gets in a place and he wants to make the border wall in Imperial Beach taller and more difficult to get through. Because uh, right now you can, at Friendship Park, they open up the wall to a certain degree where you can reach through the fence and shake hands with people. That's pretty cool. I mean, that that's neat. I mean, if you're going to have a border wall, if you're going to have a wall in the first place, why not make it something that's welcoming rather than something that's a deterrent? I mean, after all, this is the United States of America, a nation supposedly founded on the basis of freedom. So um, Gavin Newsom's down at the border calling out the Republicans, clearly posturing clearly posturing for a future presidential run and maybe trying to help uh, uh, Biden out if he can. Um, 
But there is a legit problem. Now, it, it does invite the issues like when they do come to America, when immigrants do come here, now the state is providing all these resources for health screenings, shelter, helping them find sponsors, et cetera. Now, in my opinion, immigrants need to organize that themselves, just like our ancestors did when they came to America. Now, should there be some kind of health screening in terms of you know, communicable disease, that sort of thing? That's probably reasonable. That's what they had at Ellis Island back in the day. But generally speaking, we need to make this easier for people to be to legally come into America. Now, I don't know what Newsom really wants in the end. I mean, he he's showcasing the fact that the state of California is paying over a billion dollars or near a billion dollars to support these immigration efforts in California because the federal government isn't helping. But. The border issue is always going to be a big deal for us in San Diego because the border's right there. The border and um, is a major part of what makes San Diego San Diego. And we live in a regional area, kind of a a um, binational area, the Tijuana San Diego Greater Metropolitan Area. In many ways, for a lot of families, it's a, a singular entity. People cross that border legally, frequently, for work, for family reasons, for a lot of other reasons. You know, it'd be nice to see that was a little bit more fluid, in my opinion. Um, okay, uh, enough of my soapboxing on that. So that's uh, that's kind of what I had going here um, on the live stream, and uh, just want to you know, get into some of the, the hot headlines and some commentary on issues going on in San Diego. I'll be sharing this podcast as I always do on my YouTube channel, John Riley Project. And then I put it out on all the audio podcast platforms, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, it'll be out there. And these uh, San Diego news updates, I'll try to do periodically. They're going to tend to be shorter, like about a half an hour, uh, but I'd love to get you involved, uh, get you involved in the community forum. And um, and then I'm always looking for guests to come on board. So if you're interested in being a guest, reach out to me and go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. Okay, friends, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Merry Christmas. Hope all uh, is ready for a great holiday season. And we'll be back at you probably one more time this week, trying to do this midday if I can. And uh, we'll catch you later. We'll see you later, friends. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.